Maybe you thought an aeroplane wing is always an aeroplane wing and a car tyre always has zigzags all on its edge. But who can say different? The science of aerodynamics can say different. And today's guest is an engineer and a professor of aerodynamics and he'll be cluing us into what we gain from wind tunnel experiments on aeroplane wings and Olympic skiers. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. In recent shows, you might have spotted the topic of engineering popping up more than once. In one show, we looked at bioengineering, where they study materials like gels in our joints. In another show, we looked at the engineering effort that goes into making a battery-powered, low-pollution car. Yep, and there are podcast recordings on the Cambridge 105 website to prove that. Mm-hmm. There's another engineering-based show in the weeks ahead too, right, Roger? That's right. But this week, we wanted to find out about aerodynamics and what it involves. I mean, what do they do? Surely, I thought, the flow of air over objects is something they would work out using computer programs, Mm. but apparently not, as Professor Holger Babinski from Cambridge University Engineering Department will explain just shortly. At the end of my chat with him, ten minutes from now, I asked a jokey question about what attracted Holger to a career in engineering. And all you need to bear in mind is that there were and there continue to be so few women studying engineering. And that was my little bit of a jokey thing. (laughs) And with that, let's have a listen. I'm Professor of Aerodynamics in the Department of Engineering here at the University. And in the field of aerodynamics, I specialize in experimental techniques. So I don't do so much computer simulations of flows. I actually do experiments. I put models in wind tunnels. And I study things like aircraft, aircraft wings, but also cars, wind energy, all kinds of practical airflow problems. Recently, you were talking about a new design of aeroplane wing. Well, I was talking about bumps. So... I was explaining that it is that there is a lot of research going on at the moment looking into the possibility of putting little bumps like little dents on the top of an aircraft wing to deal with one particular problem uh, that one encounters which which we call wave drag mm-hmm. and obviously right now if you look on a wing they don't have bumps but because the aircraft industry is looking into, as you say, rightly reshaping the wing a little bit to gain a benefit in one area, which we call friction drag, that brings with it potentially, not necessarily, but, but it's quite likely that that would bring with it an increase in wave drag. And so now we need something to deal with this increased wave drag. And those bumps that I was talking about might be able to help us with that. Transonic, supersonic, what do these terms mean? They do crop up now and then. They do. It would be nice to know. It relates to how fast a flow is relative to the speed of sound. So we have subsonic, which means it's a flow that is slower than the speed of sound. So that would be the flow around your car. We have supersonic, which is when things move faster than the speed of sound. So that would be fighter aircraft that fly very fast. Concorde was supersonic. But then we have transonic, and transonic means through the speed of sound, so it's anything in the range of the speed of sound. And modern transport aircraft, the ones we take when we go on holiday, they operate in this transonic regime. They fly 
at approximately 80 to 85% of the speed of sound. They're still subsonic, but they're nudging up to what some people call the sound barrier. And that means that because the flow speeds up as it goes over the wing, that's what we need to create lift, we actually locally have flow that moves faster than the speed of sound relative to the aircraft. Okay, take us back to basics. What does an aeroplane wing do? An aeroplane wing obviously creates lift. So that's what carries the aircraft. And and it's basically, it is shaped in such a way that the flow over the wing is is slightly curved. If you were to draw a cross-section, you drew streamlines, you would find that they are curved, particularly on the upper surface. And it's that curvature that causes pressure and velocity changes. And in particular on a wing, you're creating a low pressure above the wing and a high pressure below. And that gives you a net pressure force upwards, and that's lift. When the pioneers of aeroplanes designed an aeroplane wing, they had no idea what this was about, or am I? They did, actually. In the late 19th century, there there was a German, uh, Otto von Lilienthal, who built gliders. Uh, Other people built gliders too, but what made him special is that he used a lot of systematic experiments. He built rigs, one of them is what you'd call a whirling arm, where he put little aerofoil cross-sections on, and he got those from observations of birds. And he wrote a a classic textbook, which is based on bird wings, and he experimented with bird-like aerofoil shapes and and measured their lift and measured their drag. And that was one of the vital resources for the Wright brothers when they built their wings and, and their aircraft. And the Wright brothers took it one step further. They built the first wind tunnels for aeronautics. And and then they also put wings in the wind tunnels and measured lift and drag, and they used that to inform their design. So there's clearly more to it. I mean, if I had invented a wheel, I, I, I couldn't think of a way of really doing much to it to make mm. it work any better. And then I start with my aeroplane, and I think of a flat sheet of plywood, and then off I go. Yes, but actually, if you look at the Wright Brothers flyer, it's not just a sheet of fabric they had little like battens to give it a a fairly careful shape they didn't get everything right there's a few physical effects they just simply didn't know about but they used their own wind tunnel experiments to to design that shape and that's what they put in the wing and and there was quite a lot of fundamental research that went into the design of that so how do you get to the idea that an airplane wing might be better with bumps on that's not a quick story First and foremost, if I go back to to what I said before, that the flow speeds up over the upper surface of the wing, and that because we're flying at slightly below the speed of sound, that now means that there is a patch of flow that is supersonic on the wing. We we never know about it, but it is actually there. And because the flow is locally supersonic on the wing, but then has to slow down again towards the back of the wing and, and when it returns to the normal, what we call the free stream condition, Supersonic flow doesn't just simply slow down gently. In supersonic flow, the physics change, and we get new effects. And one of those new effects is a shock wave. And what happens on a wing of a transonic aircraft is that from the leading edge, so that's the front, if we're following the flow on the upper surface, we find that it accelerates, it becomes supersonic. And then somewhere at the halfway mark, it encounters a shock wave, which immediately returns the flow back, it slows it down back to subsonic flow, and then it flows off towards the rear of the wing. And it's that shock wave that is a loss of 
kinetic energy. It, it converts mechanical energy into heat. So it's like a friction process, and that causes drag. And the reason why this drag occurs is because this shockwave is not a gentle slowing down of the flow, but a very sudden, abrupt slowing down. That's why it's called a shockwave, and, and we think of shocks as being something abrupt. If you can now do something to, to make this shockwave more gentle, you can reduce wave drag. And so the idea was, when people looked at it, both here and elsewhere, is how can we make this slowing down of the flow, spread it over a, a slight area? And one idea is to slow it down a little bit ahead of the shockwave. And how do you do that? And we figured out that by pushing from the surface upwards into the flow, that is also a slight compression, which is what a shockwave is, but it is a compression ahead of the shock, and the result of it makes the shock, it smears it over a, a small area. And that is the fundamental idea of a bump. An aeroplane is in different situations throughout taking off, flying along under certain conditions, flying along under another conditions. Mm. But you're being asked to make an aeroplane wing which is right for everything. That's a very good question. That is quite right. So as you go through the flight regime, during cruise, which is the, the standard operation at altitude... You do fly at a relatively constant speed, but the aircraft gets lighter and lighter as we're burning fuel. So it needs to produce less and less lift. And so quite rightly, as you said, the flow actually changes between the beginning of cruise and the end of cruise, as a result of which the flow changes and the shock changes and moves position. And one of the big challenges of designs like this bump device is that in, a, in an ideal world, it would have to move. And that's possible, but it would increase the weight of the wing and the complexity and almost certainly lead to an overall reduction of efficiency, which is why we don't have these devices on wings now. So one of the research areas we're looking at here is to think of particular bump shapes that are a little bit more what we call robust, that can operate over a range of shock positions, for example, over a range of flow conditions. But that's quite difficult. Do you ever walk around Mother Care and see something and think, oh, that was it, and that'll be your big story? I was walking around Mother Care and I saw a Dalek. I wish, but no, I didn't have a Eureka moment. Like, like much research, it's very incremental. You, you take a lot of small steps. You don't have this nagging problem and then take one huge leap. It all feels very much like steady progress. Okay. What degree subject most leads you into this area of work and I think there's a connected question what school topic still becomes very useful to you well the degree subject is engineering in general mm -hmm. uh, aeronautical engineering if you want to be precise but actually all forms of engineering contribute to this kind of research and the school topic that's the most useful probably is still mathematics then physics but mathematics is the language of science it's the language of engineering and being able to think in a mathematical way is incredibly useful, and, and I use that all the time to this day. Is there a particular equation? Calculus. So understanding differentiation and integration and how it applies and, and how we use it in the real world is, is really important. Okay. And yet you said that your workplace is a practical workplace as well. Yes. Even though yeah, my work is experimental, we still use just in, in how we build our understanding, we use mathematics, sometimes even without realising. 
I mentioned calculus, which to me is, is one of the most important parts of math. And calculus is where you learn how gradients affect things, how things are driven by gradients, by slopes. And that is very much part of the physical understanding of, of an airflow. And so even just looking at a flow, we, in our head, effectively perform mathematical calculations. You mentioned at the beginning, other than aeroplanes technologies did you mention lorries yes we do work on lorries in fact we're having a project with waitrose they've just built some prototype trailers with some very subtle aerodynamic modifications which arose from a number of student projects we've had here i have and still occasionally work with formula one teams i've worked on wind energy but you could be seduced into sports Quite right. We've had the UK speed skiing team in our wind tunnel and tried to help them improve their posture. We built a device so they could see in real time what their drag was and so they could learn to position themselves right. We have a few projects to do with cycling. Aerodynamics is quite a big part of that too. For many years I worked with a company making kites for kite surfing and we helped them design better kites. So yeah, aerodynamics is a pretty wide field. When you get on an aeroplane, do you look around you with confidence? Oh, absolutely, yes. Is there a best place to sit on an aeroplane? Well, I, I spoke about the shockwave, which is on the wing, and the supersonic flow, and we can't see it because, of course, air is transparent. But if you sit over the wing and the sun is just right, then you can see the footprint of the shockwave. And it's, it's always there, and, and people don't notice it because they're not looking for it. But when air changes pressure and temperature, then it changes its optical properties. And in sunlight, we can sometimes see that. If you have sunlight coming in through a window, look where it hits the wall and, and put a lighter in its path and just see what and you can see the hot air from the lighter. And in the same way, you can see a shockwave. If the sun is perfectly aligned with the shock, then you can see on the wing the footprint of the shock. And, and that's something I like to look for. And if you're landing on a humid day when air is prone to condensation, then as the high lift devices come out, you can see lots of vortices and, and flow features where, where you get this white mist. And yeah, I, I still enjoy that. I still can't help looking out for it when I'm sitting in an aircraft. How did you get to here? What sent you in the direction of physics? I was, like most boys, always fascinated by engineering-related topics. I also always had a natural knack for mathematics. I was one of those people who are lucky enough that mathematics comes easy to them. I don't think my math teacher was terribly inspiring, but then my physics teacher was. And so I really enjoyed physics at school. And so ultimately, it was a relatively logical path into engineering and aerospace engineering, and that really set me off on, on my career. So you weren't attracted by any women in there? That was almost the answer I was going to give you, but <laughs> there is there? a woman. Yes, absolutely, because I did while I studied aerospace engineering in Germany, I dropped aerodynamics as my options as I was getting to the later stages of my degree. But I had then met a woman from England, and under the German system, as an undergraduate, you have to do one or two research projects, and it's quite common to do them outside your university. So I was desperate to find somewhere to do it in England because of my girlfriend. And by a sheer fluke, I was offered a project in high-speed aerodynamics, which was very convenient to where my girlfriend lived. 
And so I quickly relearned all my aerodynamics and moved to Cranfield to do my project. And they then offered me a place to do a PhD. And so that is what shifted my career into aerodynamics. And the girlfriend is now my wife. That's fantastic. So it's all a big love story. (laughs) Thank you very much. You're welcome. That was Professor Holger Babinski talking to our Roger Frost about the role of aerodynamics in engineering. Indeed, yes. As uh, Holger said, their work involves doing experiments in wind tunnels to build a picture of airflow over wings. Now, that's difficult to visualise at the best of times, and it's even Mm. more difficult to visualise on radio here. (laughs) But Chris, did you know, or do you know, how aeroplane wing actually creates the lift that gets the aeroplane off the ground and into the air? Ah, well, I think kids were all taught about the Bernoulli's principle, right, at school. But since you're the physical scientist, and I see you've got a glint in your eye over there, perhaps you'd like to tell us. Yeah, well, there's cheekiness in that question, (laughs) because if you look up the explanation on the internet, you will read that we've all been taught that the air on the curved upper surface of the wing has to travel further than the air underneath wing surface, Mm -hmm. meaning there's a kind of, it has to catch up with the air on the other side. In fact, the real explanation has nothing to do with this. It's to do with the fact that the curvature of the wing causes a change in air pressure, which is different above the wing than it is below it. Ah, gotcha. Well, oversimplification leading science students astray, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But if you do a search now for how aeroplane wings really work, you will quickly find our guest, Holger Babinski, and a story and a YouTube video, which is pretty good to watch, and I think it brilliantly shows what's going on in this uh, aeroplane wing situation. (laughs) Excellent. And as a final cheeky, cheeky word, I'd just like to add my advice to the Olympic ski team, all the Olympics are over now, to improve their streamlining and performance. All right, what's that, Roger? Stay off donuts. Ah, ba-dum-bum-ching. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio, Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website, www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Kreese. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105.